we have Jen Hawley joining us tonight. She's the Director of Programs and Development. And then I am back again as a program officer. Uh, so at the IHC, our mission is to provide opportunities to deepen public understanding of the human experience by connecting people with ideas. Joining us tonight are the Idaho Chuckers, and we have Kevin Green, General Manager of the Idaho Falls Chuckers. If you guys have any questions during this presentation, please utilize the Q&A feature rather than the chat, just to keep things clean and tidy. And then at the end of the presentation during our Q&A session, you can use the raise hand feature to be taken off of mute and ask your question verbally to facilitate more of a conversation. And we also have Chris Hall with us too. Alrighty, the floor is yours, guys. Well, thanks. I appreciate you guys having us today. Uh, so my name, of course, Kevin Green, as you'd mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm the longstanding general manager uh, for the Idaho Falls Chuckers. This will be my 28th year coming up here in Idaho Falls, if you can believe that. When I moved here in 93, uh, we were in an older ballpark called uh, McDermott Field. Uh, we were known at that time as the Idaho Falls Gems, as an affiliate of the Atlanta Braves. And uh, so we got a lot of history here. In fact, the history goes back uh, 80 years. This would have been our 80th year of minor league professional baseball in Idaho Falls. Uh, back in the, uh, what, 1940, I guess, 80 years ago, they were the Idaho Falls Russets, uh, and they joined the Pioneer League as a professional baseball. Only a few short years after that, uh, Billy Martin, the famous uh, New York Yankee manager uh, for, for many years, uh, played as an 18-year-old second baseman for the Idaho Falls Russets as an 18-year-old. Uh, and as years went on, uh, there have been different affiliates that have come through Idaho Falls for a while. It was the New York Yankees. It was the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, I think under the Pirates, uh, Don Clendenin, uh, the former Pittsburgh Pirate first baseman, uh, played here and had some uh, had some successful uh, time in Idaho Falls. We got into the uh, 70s. Uh, the uh, the team affiliated with the what was called the California Angels at that time. And uh, we're the Idaho Falls Angels. Uh, we got into the 80s. Uh, an affiliation was formed with the, uh, the uh, Oakland A's. And Jose Canseco played his first minor league ball here in Idaho Falls as a member of the Idaho Falls A's. Uh, the Braves uh, affiliated in 1986 here in Idaho Falls. Uh, we became the Idaho Falls Braves. That was the same year the team was purchased by current team owner Dave Elmore. Uh, Dave and his family, uh, the Elmore Sports Group, own and operate seven minor league baseball teams across the country, uh, including the Eugene Emeralds, who are also in the league with the Boise Hawks in the Northwest League. And uh, so Dave uh, took over operation uh, in 86, and I was hired to run the team in, uh, in uh, fall of 1992, making 93 my first year. When I got here, we were the Gems. My predecessor thought that would have been a good name even though we we're affiliated with the Atlanta Braves who were becoming very, very popular. And if you were watching cable TV at the time, the only team you were gonna see on TV was the Atlanta Braves. Why wouldn't you promote, promote the Braves name? So I immediately renamed the team the Braves and we operated as such until an affiliation was formed with the San Diego Padres in 95. Uh, won a couple championships as the Idaho Falls Padres. And in 2004, we brought in an affiliation 
with the Kansas City Royals, who is our current affiliate. So 2020, uh, we did win affiliate uh, championships with the Padres in 98 and 2000, uh, with the uh, Royals in uh, 2013, and just as last year in 2019. So we had a lot to celebrate this year. Uh, COVID certainly has changed everything. And so what's our plans for this year? Um, well, I could tell you this. We sat in this very place where Chris and I are sitting right now just last week and had a press conference. We told our fans and our, our sponsors uh, via press conference that we anticipate no professional baseball in Idaho Falls in 2020. Not that that was an official statement because Major League Baseball still has not told us if we're going to have baseball or not this year. But I think we've seen the handwriting on the wall to a certain degree. Uh, Major League teams are furloughing minor league staff members, releasing minor league players. Uh, they're, they're talking about playing a major league season uh, in front of no fans, which doesn't work for us. So we're just waiting to be told officially, but we're operating as such. No baseball this year. However, uh, we're in a great position here in Idaho Falls in that we share our baseball field with the Idaho Falls Bandits. Now the Bandits are the American Legion team that won the uh, American Legion World Series this last year. And the first and only team from Idaho uh, ever to win the American Legion World Series. Now, the Bandits have already scheduled 40 games of baseball to be played here at Melaleuca Field this summer. The, the first of those games are gonna, are gonna be played this Saturday, uh, five o'clock, doubleheader. And uh, double, uh, this Saturday happens to be June 13th, which is the day that the state enters phase four of its reopening, which means that sporting venues, movie theaters and such can operate with crowds of people in attendance. So uh, we will be practicing social distancing. We will be doing a lot of things right, but we expect this to be wildly successful People want to see baseball, and they're going to come out and watch our American Legion Bandits, and we're probably going to have to cap it at about 1,000 people, where normally we can put about 3,600 people in here. Um, anything to add to that, Chris? You know, we're just excited. I think we've seen since we announced it that um, the history of Idaho Falls has really benefited us with baseball. Um, people in this community are baseball people with Bonneville High School won the state championship last year, the Bandits winning an American Legion World Series, us winning a Pioneer League championship. It's just a great pride in baseball in the community. And so I think really any sort of baseball that we can give them at our venue, we've been blown away by the support of the community of people excited to come out. Yeah. Uh, this Bandits uh, partnership that we formed, which we announced at our press conference last week, has really kind of been a, thrown us a lifeline. Uh, we were we were kind of reeling here thinking if we don't have anything going on here this summer, no baseball, there's going to be bandits baseball, but what do we do? And uh, I used to be a member of the American Legion uh, board of directors as my son played for the bandits for a couple of years and having that relationship with the current board, we said, how can we partner with you guys to help you generate the interest that your team deserves and bring our fans and our sponsors out here and be a part of that. So our partnership essentially gives the Chuckers, Chris and myself and the rest of our staff, the opportunity to go out to all of our sponsors who we are, had already in place for this year. Almost, I'd say 85 to 90% of our season seat holders, groups, 
sponsorships, advertisers had already been renewed for this year. So now over the last two weeks, we are manning the phones, calling everyone that partners with us and said, even though it's not official, we're operating as we, there's no Chuckers baseball, but we would love to have you come out here and be a part of Bandits baseball. So we're selling our sponsors sponsorships, very similar sponsorships for all these games at a greatly reduced price. And uh, it's been a, just incredibly successful. Uh, usually by this time of the year, as we approach our regular opening day, we'll have about 350 sponsors. And I'm not just talking season ticket holders, but sponsors that advertise with us, buy groups, buy barbecues, uh, and so on. And we've already in the last two weeks signed up over 90 of those different sponsors to sponsor these American Legion games, uh, which is going to really generate the excitement around town. It's going to bring in big crowds for these games, but it's going to allow my staff and myself, we think, to be able to help uh, meet our payroll, uh, pay our bills, uh, so I don't, I don't have to furlough my staff. Uh, I don't have to call creditors and say, we're sorry, we can't pay our bills. So it's been a total lifeline for us. And this partnership is going to be great. And I think an important distinction, too, is you touched on it, that we're different than Major League Baseball that can go out and play games with no fans and they have TV money and they have different things that they can do. Minor League Baseball operates so differently than Major League Baseball that, you know, just a casual fan thinks, oh, professional sports, I'm sure the Chuckers will be fine for a year with no baseball or they can broadcast their games. But really throughout minor league baseball. And one thing that I've grown to love about it, working in it is um, that we're so fan focused, how we make money, how we are able to do what we do is to focus on the community, um, to focus on bringing fans out here, give them something they're excited to, you know, bring their kids to. And then, you know, we have fans that talk about how they came to McDermott field when they were little and now they're old bringing their kids um, and so we can't do anything without fans here. So with the governor's reopening and the bandits, that allows us to give fans something to come out here to do, which I think is good for the community. Um, you know, throughout 80 years of baseball, I think it's proven that having a team here in the community is valuable and an asset, um, but it's also valuable and an asset to us to be able to bring people in. And even if it's socially distanced with less people than we're used to, um, just to have something here. I agree. And we are, I think, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the 80 years of professional baseball, I think most people in our community uh, cherish uh, minor league baseball here. They truly do see us as a community asset. And, uh, you know, uh, we embrace that. Uh, we're, we're working through these tough times, but uh, we're, we're very emotionally connected to what we do on a daily basis. I, I think that uh, it's important to our, our community and we see it in our fans and our sponsors. They don't want baseball to go anywhere. And I guess this could be the segue into next, what's going on next. When we say worried about where baseball might be heading in the future, uh, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball have been operating for many, many years now under what's called a professional baseball agreement. Uh, in 1990, uh, the professional baseball agreement that was worked out as a 10-year uh, deal it outlined the financial relationship and otherwise between a major league team and its minor league affiliate. And it, it just says who pays for what, and this is, we'll send you players, we'll send you the coaching staff, 
you provide this venue for our players to develop in and we'll provide you the product to go out and sell in your market. So in 1990, a 10-year deal was put together. In 2000, it was renewed. 2010, it was renewed. And this year, 2020, it was up again. We thought it was going to be rubber stamp for another renew. And Major League Baseball has decided, now we want to rework the minor league system. And as part of this deal, the rework, uh, the commissioner's office put out a plan to eliminate 40 minor league teams across the country. Uh, three leagues have been uh, singled out. Uh, I got a single one. Uh, the Pioneer League, which makes up Idaho Falls and our other seven teams, three cities on uh, Montana, there's two teams in Utah, and uh, two teams in Colorado. We are all, quote, on the chopping block, as is the entire New York Penn League and the Appalachian League. Uh, Major League Baseball's decided that it's good to develop players and grow the business by shrinking the minor leagues. We happen to disagree with that. We think that's an awful plan. Uh, and But we're fighting every day now for our very survival because while we're telling fans, listen, we want to take your sponsorship and roll it to next year. In the meantime, would you do this reduced sponsorship for us with Bandits Baseball? And they're going, but what about next year? We've already been told that you might be eliminated uh, from, from the major league, minor league system. So we're fighting through that, and we really don't know how this is going to turn out. Uh, where the outcome's going to take us. And frankly, we're very nervous about that. Uh, I think it's bad for baseball. I talked to major league people who I know, and I certainly would never name, mention any of their names, but they say we, we don't agree with this system, uh, this, this plan to contract. You're trying to grow the game of baseball, but by doing it by eliminating 40 cities across the country that enjoy minor league baseball and tell them that they're not worthy of uh, the major league affiliation anymore. It's, it's, an awful plan, and uh, we hope that it gets uh, gets worked out to our benefit because we do not want 19 or 2019 to have been our last year of minor league baseball. Yeah. So, what do we do to help uh, help stop that? Because I think a lot of people believe in that as well that we don't cut the Pioneer League or any of those small leagues. Well, uh, you know, uh, one of our biggest supporters, uh, we turn to uh, the politicians. Uh, we turn to uh, Mike Simpson and Mike Crapo and, and Senator Jim Risch. Uh, we got a great letter of support from uh, Governor Little. Uh, and these folks, uh, they don't want to see minor league base. There's only two minor league baseball teams in the state of Idaho. It's the Boise Hawks and the Idaho Falls Chuckers. Uh, the Boise Hawks are currently safe. Uh, the Northwest League is not on the chopping block, uh, but we're not. And I don't, I think it would be a shame if, uh, the state of Idaho lost two, one of their two minor league baseball teams. And so do the senators and the congressmen are, are fully aware of that. And they're fully supportive of this. Um, uh, Mike Simpson, our Congressman Simpson, has joined a task force to save minor league baseball. Uh, he was a, a co-sponsor of a bill to save minor league baseball. Uh, I think as long as you folks can maybe send an email uh, to the senators or the congressmen uh, or to the governor's office and say to them, uh, please do everything you can to support minor league baseball in our communities. Uh, Idaho Falls is, uh, we're vulnerable right now uh, to the chopping block. And I think Major League Baseball would listen to a little political pressure. And uh, so anything that people can do to, to 
keep that pressure on would be great. I think that we had some good momentum on that uh, right at the same time that COVID hit. And then that redirected everyone's attention. So from our perspective, it was the worst timing possible because we were getting a lot of political traction. And now it's so, to some degree got put on the back burner. Chris, you want to add to that? Yeah, I just say if there's been any positives that's come from this, it's allowed us to work with um, local government, with state government, and really look at the benefits that minor league baseball and the Chuckers specifically bring to the community. Um, not only do we, you know, hire more than 100 people a year that we give jobs to, we have five full-time staff members. Um, last year, we donated more than $80,000 um in charities in southeast idaho um, we work really closely with organizations like the community food basket um you know we've it's really put a spotlight on us how important this is not just from the baseball side of people come and learn about what we think is a great game but using our platform to do good in the community to uplift um, people who need jobs as well as you know we buy food we buy signs we buy so much from this community hotel rooms um, that really boost the economy that um, it's made us have a greater appreciation for the role that we play and find ways to you know even with covid and working with the bandits to still find ways to give back to the community um, you know we did had a really successful food drive with the community food basket we've done a few other fundraisers you know just trying to help people in the community and that's not something that you know, even if how we do operations, how that changes, we still want to be an important role in this community. Yeah, in fact, uh, the last two days, we've really focused on two programs uh, that we developed in, in our ballpark. One is uh, in, in association with Rocky Mountain Power, the Rocky Mountain Power community seats, where we actually reach out to all the nonprofit organizations in our community and say that we have complimentary tickets for you for every game courtesy of Rocky Mountain Power, and we fill this community section up. And because we always get requests from those type of organizations. We also created one as a partnership with Fred Meyer called the Community Spotlight Program. And we, there's, on our average Chuckers game, we draw, we draw on average about 27 to 2,800 people per game out here. We are the true, uh, the best gathering spot in Idaho Falls during the summer. Uh, uh, for crowds and, and uh, just a place to be. Well, it's part of this community spotlight program when people are, are funneling the, into the front gates, right inside the front gates, we allow charity organizations every night to set up a booth there to raise awareness and funds for, for their organization. So it's available on a first come first serve basis. And we'll have the community food basket, the United Way and uh, just numerous other area uh, organizations like that come out here absolutely free, courtesy of Fred Meyer through a sponsorship. It's a great program. And uh, when those programs were first started years ago, uh, those, these, or, these sponsors have been with us for years because they know that these are two of the best programs we offer. Well, certainly, I think you have an argument for bringing the community together and you have the history behind it, you know, and Major League Baseball they can't, some of their stadiums, they can't even fill, you know, but you guys in the communities, you can, and why would they want to cut that, you know? I know, I hear over and over again that people say they can't seem to draw a big crowd on Monday. We, we Mondays are huge here for us. 
uh, we'll do those Mondays are a lot of the nights we'll do a credit union night or a bank, uh, you know, a client appreciation night or a community night. Maybe it's Blackfoot night. We'll have sponsors distribute tickets in their community. Uh, all the tickets, of course, are paid for at a discounted price, but uh, our tickets are in demand to some degree here. So if a sponsor buys a big bundle of discount tickets from us, they're seeing people, once we put it out there on social media, that uh, Westmark Credit Union night has uh, 1,500 tickets to give away. Once that goes out there, those tickets are gone usually within two or three days. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's very popular. And that's how we really pack the ballpark on some of these Monday and Tuesday nights. Yeah, That's been the thing that's been so frustrating for us from the contraction standpoint of, you know, telling our helping our fans realize it's nothing that we've done wrong or anything wrong with the city of Idaho Falls in this plan that Major League Baseball has. We feel confident that if they came down here, they'd say, Maluka Field's a great place to watch a baseball game. Obviously, people want to come. We're filling the stands. And they just haven't given us that opportunity to come out and really see what it means to these communities. Yeah. I, Major League Baseball, when they cited contraction, uh, they were talking about out of the way cities. It's not, uh, it's not convenient uh, for, to de develop players in places like uh, Idaho and Montana and Wyoming, or perhaps in the Appalachian league. Uh, you know, I, I personally think if there's, you're in markets that there's no major league baseball anywhere around. You're only growing the game. Our nearest uh, major league ballpark to Idaho Falls is Denver, Colorado. And if you haul straight through, that's a 10 hour drive. No, I mean, how many people have the opportunity to say, Hey, it's Tuesday night. Like let's take the kids out, see a nice night of professional baseball. Well, you might be able to do that if you live in Denver, but if you live in Idaho Falls, that's simply not even a possibility. And to take that away from our community is going to hurt and I think there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings towards Major League Baseball if they go through with it. Well, let me ask a question about the players. What are they doing this summer since they're not playing in Idaho Falls? Well, many of the players have been, depends on the affiliate that you work for, the Major League team. Uh, our affiliate, the Kansas City Royals, went public and said, we're not releasing any of our players. We're going to pay our players even though they can't play. And minor league players at this level make $1,100 a month. It's not a lot of money. So to pay these players uh, a stipend like that for a billion dollar owner does not seem like it should be that much of a burden for them to do, you know. These are homegrown talent, people that are gonna entertain the major league fans in a few years. And just to let them go or decide not to pay them over hundreds of dollars or a few thousands, I don't understand it. Um, but uh, what are the players gonna do? Many of the major league teams, uh, including, I think, the New York Yankees released, released what, 40 players at our level. Uh, I, I'm not sure how that bodes well for anything. Uh, their organization, the optics are terrible. The, the fans look at that, and I think they have to be a little bit disgusted by it. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, these players, a lot of them have to look at it and say, you know, I'm 22, 23. I think I can make the big leagues. I'm going to ride this out and I'm going to wait for my next stipend to come through for minor league baseball, or they're going to say, heck with this. Uh, I, I've got a degree in accounting or I've got uh, two years towards my college degree. I'll go back to college or, you know, or I'm just going to go, I'm going to start a job somewhere. 
I guess they have to decide for themselves, do they think they have what it takes to make Major League Baseball? And at this point, is it worth it for them to keep that dream alive or do they have to go out and earn, a, earn another living? We did a really great uh, series on our Instagram over the off season um, that we got to talk to a lot of the players, catch up with um, players from this last season's team, uh, you know, players and broadcasters from before to really check in on them, see how they were doing. Um, something we really focused on during COVID, giving just fans something to watch while they were stuck at home. Um, and a lot of these players are um, have told us that what they're doing is working out with the Royals basically on a Zoom call like we are right now, that they'll set up their phone in the corner, um, that they get an email every day that says, this is what the workout today is going to be. They set their phone up in the corner. Somebody's watching. They're all doing workouts and stuff together. And then um, chart results and sending it back for a lot of these guys it's you know especially for the Royals that haven't let guys go um, it's maybe they do tell us we're going to play in August and so I need to stay in baseball shape and I need to take care of my body and that's really all they can focus on and then you know maybe there's players that want to let go that like Kevin said have to think about what's our my next move um, but Dayton Moore the general manager for the Royals put out a statement that I know Kevin and I both thought was awesome talking about you know, a lot of these players, maybe they don't make it to the major leagues, but they have an impact on the game of baseball. They're still important to the game of baseball, whether it's as coaches at a professional level, level whether they're coaches at a little league level that help kids learn to love the game, whether they work in a front office like we do. Um, you know, the Royals, one thing we're so proud to have, be a part of them is that they really know that the players are a priority. They respect them and realize that they have more value than just, you know, the money you can make putting them on the field. Yep, they, they recognize that, that the rookie, the, the guy in rookie ball can have as much of an impact on the game as the guy that's been in the big leagues for 10 years. And I think that's, that's a great message for everyone. And so, uh, yeah, we are truly, really proud to be a part of, part of that organization. So I was thinking uh, we need to call the Kansas City Royals and say, you've got a lot of minor leagues sitting around to play. We should send them up here and play a best seven series against the Idaho Falls Bandits. Now it would be pro ball players against amateur players, but that that wouldn't be precedent setting either. In fact, usually before each season in Idaho Falls, right before opening day, the Bandits play the Chuckers in an exhibition game. Now you're saying, well, that couldn't be fair. The score would be twenty to nothing after three innings. What we do is we switch the pitchers and catchers. So. Um, the Bandits, when they're in the field, they have a Chuckers pitcher on the mound pitching against Chuckers hitters. And when the Chuckers are on the field, they'll have a Bandits pitcher pitching against Bandits hitters. So we don't have a pro uh, player uh, pitching against an, uh, a high school pit, uh, hitter and vice versa. Otherwise, it would, it would come out quite lopsided. But the way we've done it once a year this way, we draw huge crowds. Everyone loves it. It's a great opportunity to really highlight showcase these local kids and usually get a really good game out of it because you got the pitchers pitching against uh, their own players. That sounds really fun. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd love to see if the Royals would send, uh, send up uh, 12, 15 of their guys for a best of seven series. They probably, COVID might create a problem with that, but I think it's worth asking. Probably. Why not? Hey, so what are some of the great uh, stories from the past of some of the players? Like, do you have a Canseco story or 
Yeah, Conseco was a little bit before my time. Gosh, I only remember the real funny stories. Some of them might not be, you know, here's the thing. Maybe Chris is the right person to ask for this, and here's why. I'm, I'm closing in on 60, which I'm not really that pleased about. But uh, so I find that the players that come through here, 19, 20, 21, so I'm like two generations separated from these kids now. So I don't have that much in common with them anymore. So I don't talk it up with them like I used to years and years ago. Now, Chris, on the other hand, probably can tell you a lot more about the players than I could. So I'll defer to him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard process, too, for us to get to know the players because they have so much that they're doing. We have so much from an operation side that we're doing. Um, and then, you know, when we're here at the stadium on an off day, when they, we have more time to have fun and, you know, be a little more relaxed, they're in Billings doing something else. So they're playing games there. Um, you know, but we do have the opportunity when we do interact with them to, to get to know some of these guys, to, uh, you know, makes the championship like last season a little more fun when you are happy for the guys on the field as well. Um, we had players this last year that spent multiple years with the team, uh, guys that come to mind for me. Uh, Chris Hudgens was on this team. Nathan Webb was on this team, both guys that I have become pretty good friends with, Tyler James as well. Keep up with, talk in the off season, and, you know, have a bond that's a little different than how you would normally meet people because you've just spent so many hours together at, on a hot day in the Aluka field. And it's, you know, we don't have a ton of, mm -hmm. you know, great stories that we could just hang yeah. out. But, we, you know, when the team's here, they're only here for about 38 games out of the season. And when they get here in the afternoon, they're, they go right to the clubhouse. And there they're out in the field. They're stretching. They're warming up. And they take their batting practice. And, then they're back in the clubhouse getting ready for the game, and then they're on the field, and we've got a whole different set of concerns at the ballpark operationally. But uh, So there's a lot less interaction than you might think. I mean, Chris probably uh, chats it up with the players more when he's, like, helping put out screens for batting practice, and there's just a little bit of downtime for a few minutes here and there where there's, where there's some interaction, but it's, it's not a great deal of it. There really is. So, but, um, yes. Kevin, how did you get involved in baseball? Uh, I was, uh, I went to a college in, uh, uh, State University of New York, SUNY School in Brockport, New York, which is outside of Rochester. And, uh, when I was getting ready to graduate one day, uh, I had an advisor ask me what I was passionate about. It says, according to this, you're going to be, become a phys ed teacher. And I said, well, I'm really passionate about baseball. And I said, I always wanted to maybe coach it as a, a high school teacher and, and, and so on. And this guy says to me, you know, it's interesting. You said baseball. I just got an application. There's a team in Rochester, which is only about 30 miles from Brockport, a AAA team, the Rochester Red Wings, were looking for interns to come in and work, uh, work for the spring and into the summer, uh, learning how to work in a front office. And he talked me into going in for the interview, and gosh, I just got along with the guys. They're great. It was a real young staff, and they were a lot of fun. And to this very day, a number of the guys from that staff are my best friends. And we were like a fraternity, us front office guys and the groundskeepers. We all just got along great. So anyway, they hired me as an intern, and before the, uh, before the internship was over, they offered me a full-time job. That was in 1984. 
And uh, I worked there. Uh, there was some uh, turnover at the higher level in 1991. Uh, the, the, the one or two guys above me moved on. And one of those guys I'm, called me only a short time afterward and said, I've got an opportunity through my new uh, uh, ownership group uh, to get you a job running the team in Idaho Falls. So I ended up moving out here in, uh, in January of 93. Uh, so it was an well, incredible transition. I, at the time I was engaged and I said to my wife, we're moving to Idaho. We're, she goes, well, I don't think I'm going. <laughs> But she's out here and she's enjoying it. It took a little while to convince her it was the right move for us professionally and otherwise. But uh, it was a scary move to go from New York to Idaho uh, when you're just a young, couple of young people trying to figure it out. And, but it's worked out great because once we got here, we realized the ownership group was great to work for. The team, the team was so well received in the community. Uh, we just had a great operational opportunity here to really grow the business. And we've been very successful at it, very successful. Yeah. Well, let me just pause real quick. Let me ask the audience, um, if you guys have any questions, please type them in. Um, how do you want them typed in on the chat? On the chat or the Q&A, whichever works for you guys. Or you can raise your hand if you'd like to ask it out loud. We do have one question. Um, will the Idaho Falls Bandits games be on the radio? Yes, they will. Uh, all games, uh, home games, will be on the radio on ESPN Radio here in Idaho Falls. Longtime Chuckers broadcaster John Balgini and a new hire that we hired for our number two radio guy, a young man named Tyler Peterson, just joined. So we're going to have a, a two-man radio crew broadcasting all games at home throughout the summer on ESPN Radio. They have three different signals. I'm not sure what they are, Chris. 980 AM, 94.5 FM, and 98. 0.5 FM, I believe. Okay. Uh, yeah, and you can con you can check on those on those numbers. I think at least two of those are I know for yeah. sure. But uh, yeah, so they'll all be on the uh, on the air. I'll probably stop in for the occasional uh, uh, appearance just to give John a hard time. In fact, John turned 65 uh, during one of the double headers this year. I think in June 20th. So uh, we'll give it to him hard then. We'll just, we'll razz him up. Great. So, um, are, since I don't know exactly where the stadium is in Idaho Falls, is it in the same place as all the stadiums have been at the same location? Yeah. So, uh, Idaho Falls uh, built a ballpark on this site back in, uh, I guess, around 1940. Uh, I forget what it was called back then. It was Highland Park. The, uh, the oldest uh, park in Idaho Falls is Highland Park, and this is Highland Park District. And when the ballpark was built here, I guess before that, there was a beet field here. And then the grandstand was built. It was a wooden grandstand. And that was here for many, many years until it bur burned down in the mid-1970s. Uh, and it, when it burned down, uh, was, a concrete ballpark was built here uh, in the mid-70s in time for the next season, which saved minor league baseball in our community. And that ballpark, McDermott Field, served us well until we had that uh, knocked down uh, and rebuilt for Melalu as Melaleuca Field in time for the 2007 season. So uh, if you ever were to come to Idaho Falls and you can't find it, just type in Highland Park. Okay. And that's the, uh, you won't have any problem finding it. I did hear about the wooden one, um, but that it was kind of scary that it, it could just go up in a flash. 
but yeah, I didn't realize I'm it sure did come down. It <laughs> so was all wood. It, I mean, the wood had to be awfully old. I'm sure got pieces got replaced here and there, but yeah, I'm sure it went up very, very fast. And uh, gosh, I one just like it, a huge uh, wooden ballpark uh, caught fire and went up in about 10 minutes in Eugene, Oregon, uh, six or seven years ago. And uh, that was just dev devastating to the community. Uh, it was so old uh, wood and it just, it torched in no time. Heartbreaking for that community. And it would have been crazy this when the wooden ballpark goes up in flames for you know those of you that aren't familiar with where a ballpark is we're nestled right in a neighborhood we've got houses all around us you know we have a park a, a market right in front of us but we're in a neighborhood that you know i just imagine those people are sleeping wondering why it's so bright outside and you see the yeah. whole ballpark's up in flames when you're sitting in the grandstand you look out over the home run fence you see houses all the way around yeah well, that's how the one here in Boise was where the Hawks first started uh, mm -hmm. was in our, my neighborhood when I was a kid. Um, and I think, um, what's his name? Ken Griffey played there when he was starting out. Like he traveled in and played there. and But now it's obviously moved down to Garden City. But if that would have burned down, oh my gosh, that would have been horrific. But. Yeah. Well, I hope that uh, Boise gets a new ballpark. Uh, your community certainly needs one, uh, deserves one. I've been there. I mean, it's a great atmosphere, and I think Bob Flannery does a great job doing the best with it, but it's an older ballpark, and there's so many great facilities in, in Boise, uh, and it's just a shame that baseball hasn't had the opportunity to catch up and provide the same uh, facilities like the hockey team has at the Grove and Boise State's facilities. So I hope they get it done because they certainly, uh, your community deserves it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have another question. Let's see. Um, how much do you think the way the game is played has changed during your time in Idaho Falls? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, it just seems like every year now, uh, this new uh, commissioner's office is just trying to uh, new change after change after change. And uh, there are a lot of concerns, I think, about the pace of play. I personally don't mind sitting there and watching a ball game if it goes three and a half hours. I if you if you love the game, why mess with it? If you don't like it, are you going to like it anymore if it's a two-and-a-half-hour game instead of a three-hour game? Is it going to create love because it's too long at three and not too long at two-and-a-half? I don't believe that. You either, you either love it or you don't. So I think more baseball is better, and if it's a three-and-a-half-hour game, I'm fine with it. But most of the changes we are seeing have to do with shortening the game right now. Yeah. Chris, you want to add to that? I'd say, you know, even in the short time that I've been here, you've seen changes. Uh, one that comes to mind from last year is uh, the players received permission last year from Major League Baseball to put these little sleeves on the knob of their bat um, that they would go out there that previously they only would use in batting practice, that when you swing, it tells you how fast, it tells you what the angle of your bat was at, it tells you, you know, what kind of pitch you just hit was, how fast that ball was coming in, all reads instantly and prints out to a computer in the clubhouse. Um, this last year, they were able to use those in games. And so what was really interesting is you'd see a guy that was a little slow on some fastballs, maybe in the first three innings, go into the club, go into the dugout. They'd have a trainer there saying, you know, this is happening, reading the numbers coming up at the knob of their bat, that they could make in-game adjustments from a technology standpoint. And you know, be better later that game. That's not a, they didn't have to wait until 
a few days of batting practice to try to work something in, they could do it right then with the technology. Um, the Royals installed, you know, this season, a, we call it a track man, a board that reads every stat on the field, how hard a fielder throws, how, ball, how hard a ball is hit, what kind of pitch is thrown um, remotely. And they just sent us a new one that's probably a quarter of the size of the old one was the technology in baseball is changing so fast to help players just be better, faster. And yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's all about analytics anymore. Uh, it's changed the way that the scout, the baseball scouted and uh, how players are developed. And, uh, you know, you're trying to make the, the most efficient, most effective baseball player that you can out there. And technology has its place in the game. Uh, I think the uh, overabundance of stats to me is mind numbing. Uh, I used to like when a, a hitter's stat line was at bats, runs, hits, doubles, triples, homers, RBIs, uh, walks, strikeouts, caught steal, stolen base, caught stealing, slugging percentage. That's all you need. Oh my gosh! Now they have stats that go so far beyond that, and I don't even want to waste my time looking at it. It's <laughs> it's just the way it is. I thought that was enough stats. Yeah. Uh, another one that they introduced uh, last year at the ballpark, uh, a pace of play thing was. Um, and you remember this if you played softball when you're a girl was when you got to extra innings, uh, they put they'd start with a runner on second base. They do that now in minor league baseball. Oh. Uh, they're testing it out, see how the fans will re uh, respond to it at a major league game. I don't know if it's coming to major league baseball anytime soon, uh, but it's trying to avoid the 15 and 17 and 20 inning ball games. Because I, I can, to some degree, understand that. And it is effective, but what happens is you put a guy at second base and nobody out, what's the first guy up going to do? He's going to bunt him over to third. So that you can expect. Uh, you might bunt him in. You're playing for one run. You put that guy there. So it's made it a little bit predictable, and you always know that first guy up in the 10th in the inning is going to bunt that guy to second base or to third base. But there's always consequences out there. I don't, make, I don't know if it makes the game better. Oh, anyway, <laughs> I have another question. And once you, once you inst uh, put that rule out in front of people and they looked at it, they'd scratch their head and they go, are we watching a Little League game here? Because I remember them doing that and they do it at Little League tournaments because games were usually limited to two hours or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. What's the latest on the discussions with Major League Baseball on 2021 and beyond? Has the process halted entirely due to COVID? Is there a deadline for reaching an agreement? There's no deadline. Uh, the existing agreement does expire at the end of September of this year. Um, and there's some people that are negotiating on behalf of minor league baseball that think that major league baseball is going to just let the, the agreement expire and then just blow it up. Um, we don't know if that's gonna happen. Uh, we, we think, I mean, I'm speculating here. I, I don't have inside information or anything. We think that major league baseball, uh, once they do that can come in and say, we're eliminating the minor leagues. We might be eliminating the minor league office. We could, they could eliminate league presidents. They could, uh, just come in and say, this is the way it's going to be. Uh, there won't be any more negotiating. Major league baseball is just going to run it the way they want to run it. We hope that isn't the way. I mean, minor league baseball has operated separately from Major League Baseball for 100 years. 
Major League Baseball came about, and there was minor league teams all over the country, and then they unified and formed the National Association of Minor League Baseball. And then uh, major league teams under uh, Branch Rickey, who uh, you may remember that name, he was a general manager for the St. Louis Cardinals before he was for the, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers when he broke the, the racial barrier. But uh, he was the one that came up with the idea, let's take these minor league teams around the country and let's make them part of the, the St. Louis Cardinals farm system. And so instead of them just signing players and we go out and try and find them, those players that they sign, we'll sign them and send them there and they're part of our system. And that, that caught on and it was incredible. It developed the minor league system. We're talking the 1920s, 30s here. And uh, it, the system has developed. It's not perfect, but it's awfully, awfully good. And to upset that and disrupt it and think it can be done better, I think that you're going to do a lot more harm than good. That's my take on it. Mm. I don't know if I ever actually answered the question. I think I might have sidetracked it. But, but to make a long story short, we, there's so much that still has to be done. I think COVID sidetracked it. Nothing's going to happen until after Major League Baseball figures out their thing. And then they're going to tell us what this season's going to look like. Uh, then they're going to sit down and at some point negotiate out a deal. I don't think there's a time limit. I think Major League Baseball might take it past the, uh, the end of the, the expiration date of the current deal. That's sad. Okay, let me keep asking if we have any more questions. <laughs> Any more questions? Doesn't look like we have any more coming in. Any other historical things you can tell us? I know there's got to be a, a good Billy Martin story in there. Well, you know, he played here in 1946, and I was born in 61. So that's <laughs> well, hasn't there like somebody come in to say like something, some story kind of bubbled up through the years, or is it one of those dirty stories you can't tell us? Well, you know, with Billy Martin, he, he used to always tell a story about uh, what was it where he used to go hunting with uh, in the off season with Mickey Mantle and they, they got drunk and they end up shooting a cow. I, I heard that one before. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, anyway, um, that's the best I can do on that. As far I'm, as, I'm, bl I'm blushing after I said that as one. Far as <laughs> I can't believe you that. Sorry. So Jim Madden that just was hired this year as the manager of the Los Angeles Angels. Actually, his first coaching job in professional baseball was here in Idaho Falls with the Idaho Falls Angels. Um, and so when he signed with the Angels, we had people from ESPN reaching out to us asking, do you have any pictures of him and Angels stuff that we can use that we can put up? And, you know, that it was a, our very brief moment of fame this mm -hmm. this winter of you know, Joe Madden's return to the Angels. Yep. In fact, when he was a manager for the Cubs, when they won the World Series in 2016, they had that huge uh, event there in Chicago. And when he was at the podium speaking in front of like a million people in Chicago, he referenced at that speech his first managerial job uh, managing in Idaho Falls. Really? He did? Yeah, when he was talking in front of you know, millions of Chicago Cubs fans around the world. So I thought that was great. Wow. Okay, wait, we got some questions here. Um, any guesses as to whether the major leagues will play this year? Uh, you know, it's 50-50. I, I, 
you, you read every day there's a new offer from one side or the other. I think there was another offer that came out from the players' union today. Yeah. Chris could probably give you more detail on that because I think he's just taking time to read that. Just before we came on, we were talking about, you know, the players saying they want 93 games and no less and, and, their, and their pay. And, you know, Kevin and I are both – we stand firmly with the players on this one of, you know, if they have a contract, which they did before – when COVID started happening and they announced they were going to push back the season, the owners announced, you know, we're, we'll pay you a prorated salary if you'll take it easy on us for these couple of months that we don't play. And then to turn around and say, no, never mind, we don't like that anymore. We want you to take even less than that. Anytime you tear up a deal, it's going to create some distrust between the two parties. And we hope, I mean, as a baseball fan, I, I really hope that they can. I am less optimistic, it seems, by the day that they will. But It'd be really good for the game of baseball, I think, if they could be the only major sport going for the month of July when everybody's just desperate for sports talk content. Yeah, I, I gosh, I, I'm siding with the players on this. I think, uh, I think the, the owners have a responsibility to let these players go out and play. I think the players want to uh, play, and they're willing to do that. If it's 50% of the games, it's 50% of the pay. That's very fair. Uh, and the owners, uh, they don't want to do that. And I, I think it's short-sighted, uh, short-sighted once again, in my mind, to, to deny the fans uh, baseball because the players think that they might lose more money than they want to. Okay. Here's one more story or one more question. Uh, you, recount, you recounted some of the affiliation changes that have occurred for the checkers over the years. What prompts a change in affiliation for a minor league team? Uh, that's a good question. It, it could vary. Um, so every year um, under the current PBA agreement, an, a major league and minor league affiliation is signed for either a two or a four-year deal. So we can go to the Royals, hey, are you guys comfortable re-upping with us? Uh, yes, we both, both sides agree we want to re-up. Um, and then you decide if you're going to do a two or a four-year deal. We've always done two-year deals with the Royals. The PBA has always guaranteed you a major league affiliate. So if you have a bad relationship with your major league club and we say, hey, our major league team has given us a last place club for the last four years, we want to see who else is out there. When our deal comes up, we're given a 20-day window to notify our major league team and major league baseball that we're seeking reaffiliation. The major league team has the same right to do that. So either side can opt to, to, to try and terminate the deal. If we seek reaffiliation, and we have done that before, we have 20 days to find a new Major League affiliate. We can go out there, and Major League Baseball will provide us a list of every other team in our classification uh, Major League club that we can reach out to. And I remember one year we had the opportunity to reach out to the Cardinals, uh, the Marlins, the Phillies, the Cardinals. I, there was four or five teams. We reached out to all of them. And a number of them uh, wanted to stay in the New York Penn League. Couldn't get a deal done, so we automatically got reassigned to the club we were with at, with at that time. So the Major League team has the same opportunity. They can say, we want to file, uh, you know, maybe Idaho Falls, uh, the travel to get there is too difficult. Or maybe they, let the, they had a bad groundskeeper and they let the field go, and we want to, we want to seek an affiliate where we can get a better, better travel or a better field. So they could file for reaffiliation. They have 20 days to find one. If they go into another city, that means the other major league club gets bumped out of there. 
and they'll get reassigned to us. So that's happened before. Is that same? Is that the same with like the Boise Hawks League, the Northwest League? Yeah, it can. It'll happen at. It can happen at any level. My uh, nineteen after the nineteen ninety four season, the Atlanta Braves uh, wanted to leave. They were an affiliate here, and they had the opportunity to go into Eugene, in the Northwest League. So Eugene, uh, the Braves pull out of here and they go into Eugene. And at that time, Eugene, I think I can't remember. They had the Rangers or something, and the Rangers end up going to Spokane, and Spokane had the Padres, so the Spokane booted the Padres out, and the Padres just got reassigned to us, and that's how we became a Padres affiliate. We ended up having a great relationship with them all the way up through 2003, but we were ready to move because in 2002 and 2003, we had the worst win-loss percentage, I think, in short-season baseball. And so we had the opportunity to seek reaffiliation. We did with the Kansas City Royals. So it could be either side seeking that real reaffiliation. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah so, never knew that. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Oh, I just never knew that. I know that's wild. Yeah. So yeah. personally, um, who is your who are both of your favorite baseball teams? Well, I love the Kansas City Royals, and I maybe I say that because I'm biased because we've worked with them now for 16, 15, 16 years. I grew up as a huge Tigers fan, and uh, I started to understand baseball around 67, 68, and they won the World Series in 68. They beat the Cardinals, and I became a big Mickey Lolich, Al Kaline fan. Al Kaline just passed away, which is sad. And I, I just became a Tigers fan right up until I started working in baseball in 84 for the Orioles organization, and they happened to win the World Series in 83. So I became a huge Orioles fan and Cal Ripken and, you know, Mike Boddicker and, you know, Dennis Martinez, all those guys. But that's my story, Chris. I am, I grew up a really big San Francisco Giants fan, um, have been my whole life. Uh, the only team I've ever worked for has been here in Idaho Falls with the Royals. And, you know, working with the team, you, you know, see kind of stuff you don't ever see as a fan that's made me, like Kevin said, we, we absolutely love the Royals. They've always treated us so well so i i do root for them but actually i'm wearing san francisco giant socks today just happened to be so yeah just grew, grew up a huge giant <laughs> that's funny <laughs> How about you? um i uh my dad was a big cardinals fan so i'm a cardinals fan but he he also lived uh near san francisco so he took us to san francisco games as well so i'm both of those so I'm not a Royals fan, but I was going to ask if you still had George Brett bobbleheads left. Uh, we've got one or two stacks. <laughs> I yeah, saw that on your <laughs> They were going, there is, right after the day he was here, we had, we had eBay listings popping up for like $200 on those George Brett bobbleheads. And Kevin sent us all a group chat text to the guys working in the office that said, just tell me none of you guys are doing this, that you didn't hide George Brett bobbleheads to make a profit. But it's crazy. Just the next day we see him popping up. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, great. Okay, I'm going to ask this one last question because I always wanted to find this out. How do you become a uh, baseball mascot? Well, here we pay about minimum wage, and we just put it out there, you know. Uh, we've had some good mascots. It's usually just high school kids looking for a job. Really? And 
we hire so many high school and college kids here. They're looking for work in the summer. That's perfect because being short season baseball, you, you hire people in June and they, they're usually can, if, even if they have to go up to college on August 20th, you say, oh, we'll still hire you. You can work throughout the summer. So we have a lot of young people. And as you interview them, you say, you'd be perfect for uh, taking tickets. You'd be perfect for uh, working in the concession stand. And who wants to try and try out to be our mascot? And we just try them out. And they're just a hourly paid employee, just like any other high school or college kid that would work for us for the summer. So they so don't it, it never reach the, what's that? They don't pay you to be the mascot? I mean, I would think that would be a pretty cool thing. Uh, it is a pretty cool thing. It's probably something you should put on your resume. But <laughs> we've had some really fun kids that have done a great job with it and really embraced it. Well, great. Well, thank you for talking to yeah, us thank tonight. thank you for coming. It was okay. really a lot of fun. Yeah. Let me know if that was inappropriate after we get off the air. No, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I hope to come down and see the bandits. I mean, that sounds really fun.